0: On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're in Victorian London investigating the paranormal in a show that is 100% not HBO's The Nevers, but rather an entirely different paranormal Victorian show in the form of Netflix's The Irregulars. We're also in Wales with Eve Miles for the final series of Keeping Faith on BBC One and reasons I can't quite explain, going from Scarborough to Monaco in the fourth series of The Syndicate, the Biebs lottery winner drama that's been off our screen since 2015 but is now back. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that finds itself having to cast its net unusually wide this week as the schedules dry up in the week before Easter, but that's a small price to pay for the excuse to pack your weekly shop with chocolate eggs and, if you're in America, those really disgusting weird little marshmallow Peeps things that I don't quite fully understand. Fact for you, there's a Peeps-flavoured Pepsi this year which looks like an abomination against gods and men. Marshmallow Pepsi kill it with fire. But enough about sugary snacks, because I'm joined today by my two similarly sweet co-hosts, the Tate and Lyle of modern TV journalism, Terry White and Boyd Hilton. How are we?
1: Fine. i have impressed with your um, PASAG introduction um, about the syndicate. Well done. I mean, you know, building up the tensions to what you think about that (laughs) programme.
2: it's fourth season like we'll get to that we'll fuck? get to
0: that <laughs> yes i must admit this is something i planned to bring oh, up because when Jesus the thing started Christ. it said series four i said series four why is boyd giving a series four of some fucking random lottery drama but <laughs> i'm giving it let's to you. get on to that later <laughs> in the show shall we um, unbelievable unbelievable and in- we should start a syndicate the three of us we should get lottery tickets mm. and then we can you know start yeah. up our own empire
2: I know, but you have to really, really trust people. Yes, as
0: this show will demonstrate. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. What have we been watching this week? Okay, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Mark
1: from MasterChef. Yes, I'm mentioning MasterChef, which um, if you listen to the Empire podcast, Chris Hewitt, Complains that we don't mention MasterChef enough on this podcast, which I think is—I actually agree with him because I, I watch MasterChef religiously, right? And I watch it so much it seeps into my consciousness. Just it's just there It's a constant thing when it's on, which is and it's on like half the year. But I don't even—I've never—I even, don't think I've ever even mentioned it on this podcast. So I wanted to mention it this week because this week there's a guy called Mark who's one of the um, quarter finalists, and he is amazing. He's very entertaining. He co- he cooks incredible stuff. He cooked a sweet and sour chicken thing with blackberries and popping candy and um he's his excitement when it was announced that Grace Dent was arriving as like the guest judge was so brilliant he literally could not contain himself and then he burst into tears when it came to judging his dishes and he was spent the whole thing crying and it was brilliant so that's master chef so so brilliant just, TV. just so
0: I understand assume yeah. I don't know for a minute that I have literally no idea what master chef is about other than understanding what the title means. So yeah. this is like bake off but it's not desserts. Is that what this is? Like it's actual like um, mains and Well it's and everything, starters. yeah. Mains,
1: starters, mains and desserts, everything. They have different challenges. They have two or three challenges every episode. Sometimes it's to make a three-course meal for um, ponzi um, chefs and uh, food critics etc um, and sometimes they just have to do one particular dish it varies but yeah it's all, they have to have general overall cooking skills right
0: is there a version of this aimed at me I don't know like you know um, master microwaver Master, yeah, it could sling be. it in the oven for forty-five minutes. Make sure um, to pierce the film. That kind of no, thing.
1: No, no, not really. No, no. no. There's celebrity one. There's a celebrity one, which which is which is kind of the, the not as good as the main one, but still really good. There's probably celebrities on it you'd quite like. I, I don't know. I find some.
0: I don't know. I think you know. If, if you can't have you know Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah, I really want to.
1: They haven't had celebrities of that caliber. have to admit. Yeah. but that was okay. just a passing. That was just a passing. I wanted to mention that in passing. Right. Okay. There's the more. main Carry on. Crux of what I've been watching is um, Unforgotten. Are we up to date with Unforgotten?
0: I'm up to date with Unforgotten. Yes.
1: Right. So oh, Monday's my episode. <laughs> yes. God. Monday's fucking episode that ended with the unbelievable moment no of TV of the year. But it went out on Monday. It's, I mean, every, okay. Well, spoiler alert. We're going to discuss the fact that no, no, no.
0: What? no, no, what?
1: no all right. But we're not
0: discussing plot points. Oh my god! That, all you right. You can't discuss Unforgotten plot points. But it went out on Monday. People have to.
1: Surely and, we right,
2: can or, if we. Surely we can if we have a clear spoiler warning that James will also mention in the notes. Come on, James. Why must you
0: insist on giving me extra work? Fine. Okay. We're imposing a strict, (laughs) unforgotten spoiler warning. So if you have not seen the fifth I want to yes. say the fifth out of yes. six Unforgotten so the penultimate episode of Unforgotten which actually by the time you listen to this oh no I should say the finale's on tonight by the time you listen to this finale. but um, the finale. finale, the, finale. the
3: finale. Finale, finale as the as the French say uh
0: the finale <laughs> is tonight but if you haven't seen episode five then skip this big I will put the Time code in the introduction and things so that you can get past it all right fine go on say what you need to say well it ended with cassie we got fucking car smashing into her <laughs> and hit and run and i have to say i yes. have to say i a, saw that coming but when it was coming i thought i thought is she gonna get hit by and then i thought oh no that's not gonna happen this is unforgotten it's just not that kind of show and then it happened
2: do you know what i i knew as well do you know why because of the shot it was know yeah. yeah. when helen baxendale yeah. got smashed into yes. on yeah. Yeah. In Cold yes, Beach? yes 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 and it was the camera, she was fiddling around with something. Yeah. The camera the phone, just yeah. like sat there and you could see the and you could see the road the other side of the window. I was like, They're gonna smash into the side of her. I've seen this too many times. <laughs> but to James's point, it does take your breath away because it's yeah. a very un Un, yes. Unforgotten it's moment. Mm. I loved that because yeah, was, was the incredible. last yeah. thing I was expecting. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah, it was absolutely. I thought it was brilliantly done. And also, and even though, yeah, there are kind of intim- there are deliberate intimations. Of, mm. of it. I think that you're right in the way it was shot completely. But still, when it happened, you're like, oh my god, they've got, they've done this. It was just a brilliantly done thing, and particularly because you had the fact that they're reaching the peak of solving the case. They're kind of getting, mm. they're-, they're-, they're kind of getting all these these four people, these suspects, together, and they're kind of playing the effort against each other, and there's some key developments there. So that was, and she's just found out that the the um, fountain pen that was the murder weapon, they can trace that. She's kind of like exhausted with the case, and there's the whole situation with her poor dad. Yeah. Um, and that fact that she kind of left a couple of messages for her dad, and the dad doesn't go back to her, and that's what she was distracted by, with her phone waiting to hear from him, waiting to hear that, you know, he's going to be okay, and he's going to forgive her for being, for her not trusting him and his new lady friend. All of that, was brilliantly done reaching the peak of, oh my God, now a fucking
0: car smashed into her and what happens now? See, I think what bothered me about it is, it's its un I felt cheated at the end. Like I felt this isn't that kind of show because that device, that ending an episode on a car crash is a hoary old trope at this point. Like it is cliched <laughs> as fuck. And this isn't the kind of show that normally relies on that kind of cheap shock stuff. So, but but I don't, I think it's all gonna depend on board what they do with it. So what the final episode, what the repercussions this if she gets up with a small cut on her head and go, oh fucking hell do you know what i mean then it's just like okay now i'm gonna punch someone but i suspect given the type of show it is there will be more to it than that and they will justify it and it will be you know significant
2: i have to say i've particularly loved this series i think i talked about the fact that season two didn't quite do it for me but season three was absolutely brilliant this mystery and the people mm. involved are super compelling it's all fa- like this hot Some of the characters in this are some of the best in in Unforgotten's kind of history. Mm. Um, The dynamics are super interesting. Where she is mentally is really interesting. What do we think about the dad's girlfriend? Because I initially shared Cassie's (laughs) suspicions and was like, gold digging, whore, but... I now think Cassie's, and I think you're meant to think she's in the wrong road. Yeah, absolutely. She, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. She's, just, she's judged
1: it. Yeah. I think there's a whole playing off between Cassie, that I think there's a whole idea that Cassie is at her best and at her most humane when she's investigating the crimes. And everything she does, investing yes. comes from her compassion and her humanity and yes. her anger about violence and all of that. And that all comes out with... but. In contrast with her home life, she's flawed. The flaws come out, and because she's so obsessed with the with the work, that she can't deal necessarily in the best way with things like. And she's untrustworthy when she should be mm. more trusting. So it's not. It's. It's. But I think it's very believable and and real because yeah. you know everything that she does professionally is incredible, but. That leads to her. That leads to her missing things that she should be seeing and being untrustworthy when it comes to her, particularly the dads. The dads. Well, you're
2: right because she has a humanity and empathy and softness. Like you know that yeah. thing I always talk about when she makes an emotional connection with the victim and she starts to talk about them. Usually by the evidence board, and, and she pauses. Really, she does this little
0: broken speech yeah, thing. that She does. Yeah. yeah.
2: Those, that intra- that really fascinating way, and she and she cries and she, you know, it visibly upsets her. But she lacks some of that empathy and humanity when she's dealing with her own family, like presuming her dad you know, completely lost it and isn't able to make his own decisions. How she speaks to her son sometimes. I mean her boyfriend at this point, I'm like, you are getting the rough end of the stick constantly, pal. Like, I don't see you having sex much, and she just rings you (laughs) up and moans constantly. Exactly. Um, But
0: he's right, she's angry in all the wrong places. It's misdirected rage over what's happening to her father, who she'd been so close with, and she feels, Mm. and he's slipping away from her, and that's why she's lashing Mm. out in all these different directions.
1: um, By the way, Peter Egan, um, as the dad, is soberly I think he is, he's, yeah because that's he's such very, a very what, modulated performance it, it's, it's literally just on the verge of you know dementia and all of that and how he kind of balances His that fear. is brilliant yeah His
3: he fear is incredible and panic.
1: I mean, I've, yeah mm. incredible i loved him ever since ever Decrease in circles he's also a brilliant um animal rights campaigner on in real life so he's brilliant and you're right about the cast right i I have to say Andy Nyman has a moment in the final episode which is astonishing Mm. Andy Nyman is incredible and like he's you know he's done he can do comedy brilliantly but his performance in this I think is astonishing Susan Lynch Incredible! Mm. Absolute brilliant! Uh, the, brilliant scene all, mom in the scene with her mum in that penultimate episode is exactly. unbelievable. Exactly, <laughs> so good. So yeah, ev- all of them, every single one of them. Um, uh, Feldat Shamu plays um, Ram S- Sidhu Has been incredible, mm. and what? Yeah. I, and I think the way they've done his character has been really interesting. It's just, it, it's a really bold kind of brave, they completely don't worry. The the confidence of this show, I think, is brilliant. Like They address issues like racism and the exploitation of racism, which his character particularly has done, um, clearly for years. So interestingly, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so it, it's an incredible final episode, I have to say. One final thing um, is, uh, now this is, I think, probably strictly speaking of film, but I'm going to mention it anyway, which is- well, it's on Netflix. Okay. It, Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal. Have you heard about this? So this Felicity this is a, Huffman stuff. Yeah, this is a mm. documentary on Netflix about the Felicity Huffman situation. I mean, Felicity Huffman's not, not hardly in it at all, but okay, sorry, Terry's face is amazing.
2: <laughs> Only because, I'll let you continue, but I watched this, my son was up very early last weekend, and I watched this with a mouth that was agape, <laughs> so I cannot wait to hear what yeah, you right. think of it. It's
1: incredible, isn't it? So this is a documentary about, by the way, filmmakers who made the um, Fire Festival documentary for Netflix, um, about about the whole extraordinary situation, explaining how these ultra-rich people could conspire with this dude played by Matthew... Rick Sprink, Rick Singer was at the mastermind of the whole situation, and he is played by Matthew Modine. So this, this documentary is literally... More than half of it are dramatisations of the situation, of what happened with Matthew Modine. Yes, the Matthew Modine playing this guy. like So it's almost like half drama, really, in quite, sometimes quite cheesy reenactments. I mean, it's hard to do a reenactment in anything, in any documentary without it being intrinsically cheesy, I think, especially when you're interviewing actual people with talking heads as well, and you're telling the story through actual footage of what happened. But to mix the two <laughs> is absolutely incredible, and I found it really weird and freaky. Matthew Modine does his absolute level best but it is just bizarre it's just a bizarre way of doing it but and the story itself is incredible and the more you find out about it as it goes on the more incredible it is but it is an amazing piece of filmmaking
2: it i mean the the biggest problem for me was the reconstructions you're talking about which Mm. You've got to remember most of these things were done It's based on conversations that, from wiretaps and emails that were kind of discovered as part of the investigation. So if you think about what the action when you are sat writing an email, nothing happens. You sit and type at a computer. Yeah. Think about the action when you make a phone call to somebody. You basically walk around a room holding a phone and talking. So there's these repeated scenes of Matthew Modine typing at his laptop sitting in his kitchen making a phone call on a phone sat on his sofa so they're the weirdest thing like he must have just looked at his script and been like well that's 45 scenes of me making a phone call and sending an email and it's like you're right cheesy is the word i was i was completely perplexed because i don't understand why right because they kept making a point how this guy wasn't particularly charming or gregarious or memorable or mm. there was nothing really about his character. So it's not like, oh, my God, this guy is such a fascinating character, we have to, like, try and dig into his psyche. So I don't understand why they didn't just make a straight documentary. It's all fascinating no. that, you know, you have some of the some massive actors household names who took part in this who went to prison the facts of it in and of itself is fairly extraordinary extraordinary <laughs> so, the thought that you go do you know what this needs it needs matthew modine in a bad wig sitting down a lot and making a lot of phone calls why what was the creative process
1: but I also think actually they could have got away with it I think the casting of someone so famous has really backfired like they could have got just an an act you'd never heard of it would have been fine I think I wouldn't have noticed this but it's Matthew Modine who by the way I'd watched the day before in the new Wrong Turn movie you know like taking on people in the woods (laughs) in a horror film and the next day you see him in this as you say like it's just so bizarre he's you know he's an incredibly famous because it's completely distracting it takes you out of the whole thing massively yes. every time it happens but i mean it's incredibly entertaining at the same time
2: it's it becomes weirdly funny i'm <laughs> yeah, like
1: it is funny it's jeff absolutely funny you're right yeah exactly
2: it's not meant to be funny can we just take a minute to appreciate james's i'm so bored face right yeah now? <laughs> sorry yeah. i
0: zoned out you've a literally long time zoned ago out.
3: yeah
1: i
0: haven't been listening at all i'm not even wow. sure what you're talking about
1: well wow. this is this is something for the next awards entry podcast <laughs> definitely james you're saying you've zoned out of your own podcast
0: Yes, yeah. I particularly enjoyed putting together our awards entry this week. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank both of you for your many, many suggestions of clips <laughs> I that I should include in the reel. The uh, resounding silence in our WhatsApp group was was deafening.
2: I was having a nervous <laughs> breakdown. I couldn't think. Fair about enough. It. Um, uh, okay, are you done, Boyd? Yes. I'm, um, I'm done. So I also watched Unforgotten, as we just discussed, and uh, the amazing, weird documentary. <laughs> I'll tell you what else I watched this week, um, which is uh, Football's Darkest Secret, oh, which yeah. mm. is a three-parter... Why are you shaking your head? I
0: just, I'm just... I just I'm sorry, I just I watched the brand values fly <laughs> yeah. past well. the window briefly.
2: You're going to feel bad when I start talking about it. Yeah, so, you really are. So, <laughs> so this yeah. is yeah. a three-part, incredibly made documentary about... Um, sexual abuse in football that went on for decades, primarily in the 80s and 90s. And and I'll tell you what's amazing. It's very BBC, it's incredibly respectful, it's incredibly dignified. There's a real dignity in the filmmaking that I think is vital to this. I've been talking about documentaries a lot recently. I've, I talked about some Channel 5 ones last week. This is a whole different league, really. So it's it's essentially a series of men who came forward to say that they were abused as children by their coaches. So it started kind of with one guy and his coach, and it became clear very quickly that this wasn't an isolated um, local problem in one football club with one coach and one boy. It became very clear that this was essentially a systemic issue throughout football. Multiple clubs involved, multiple coaches. You know hundreds of kids um and the episodes um there's three episodes the first one is called the end of silence which is about the first men coming forward the second one is about missed opportunities which is as it sounds about kind of the complicity in some parts of some of the clubs who didn't act upon warnings and then the reckoning which is obviously about um court cases that happened there were several high profile court cases um and the FA investigation into it, kind of what that found. And I think it's incredibly hard to do a documentary of this length, you know, in its totality, it's three hours, go into the amount of detail it went into about what the abuse consisted of. And it's it's very graphic in terms of being very clear about the scale and nature of it from, from abuse to rape and the power dynamics at play, how these coaches were a really important part of the local community, how they would often become friends with the parents as part of the grooming, the way that they then passed boys over when they got too old. I mean, it's it's told in such a frank way, but it's so compassionate. And I have to say, the men who were interviewed speak so clearly such clarity around what they've experienced and the consequences of it and what that's left them with in life. You know, you've got men in their 60s crying about what this abuse has done to them for their entire lives, what it's done to their families and the pain it still causes them. And it's, there's one after another after another. And it's, it's kind of, and it becomes really shocking when they then overlay the statements from the clubs, some of whom, you know, say this never should have happened. We deeply regret it. It would never happen again now. Some clubs who are still super defensive and claim they never had any clue and it's got, and it's not their fault. And it's, it's so, brilliantly handled and it it really speaks to the nature of of abuse and and uh, those power dynamics and how children can be vulnerable and where children need to be protected. But more than anything, it's just a brilliant testament to the bravery of these men. There is still s- such a stigma around sexual abuse of men when they were boys. It's still something that a lot of men find really, really difficult to talk about. And and women as well. But I think there's a specific stigma for men. And I just think it was handled with such dignity um, with such grace and with such respect um, it is a really really tricky watch so do bear that in mind if you're going to watch it all three episodes are on iPlayer
0: I feel a bit bad for uh, dismissing it now. Told you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said football, and anyway,
2: okay. I think football's <laughs> darkest secret. What do you think it was going to be?
0: I don't know. Mm. Own goals. Yeah. You have. Yeah.
1: <laughs> unbelievable. It, it, I just want. Yeah. It is incredible. And uh, int- I think um, I wanted to mention how one of the chairmen only resigned this week of, of one yeah. of the main clubs involved. Is unbelievable. And also, a lot of this goes back to. I think the, the five years ago was when it first and Victoria Derbyshire. Um, on her show on BBC was key she she had the first interviews the TV interviews with yeah, um, the people involved them. and it all started from a Guardian investigation a Guardian interview with Andy Woodward who is the first guy who spoke up And uh, but uh, just to underline I think Victoria Derbyshire's role in these things are key and the fact that they've st- they took away her fucking show is disgrace still and I mean, um, kudos to her because she does th- she deals with this stuff brilliantly and the documentary I, I, agree, I found, it very, found it very difficult to watch but it was brilliantly done but she her role in this kind of story that she does brilliantly has to be
2: you're right to mention mentioned. it boyden and, and it is isn't like when you think about that show she did in the morning that news show yeah was so brilliant and it was the most human news show i think i've ever seen and it was presented by a woman but it wasn't particularly you know female focused there's people a lot of people presume if you have a female presenter then you know she's yeah. a journalist victoria derbyshire is a brilliant brilliant journalist and i remember when i was on mat leave and i caught a few i'd never watched the show before and i was like this is brilliant journalism the yeah, guess she would have on the stuff she would tackle in the morning you know just after the breakfast show i think she, that show that I cannot understand why they took it off air and it was the ratings were yeah. good and it it kind it of got all kind man. of praise. It's I think she I have to say, I think she's a spectacular journalist. Yeah, and you're definitely. right to mention her because she was absolutely key in, in making those men feel safe and able to tell yeah. their stories. She yeah. has such a humanity in her interviewing.
1: Yeah. Sorry, James, we, we I just extended that bit a little bit. Thanks. Thanks, that yeah. nice
0: point. <laughs> Is that it? Any anything else, Terry? Yeah. Oof. No, okay. Good, good, good. Well, uh, what have I been watching this week? Obviously, my Game of Thrones rewatch has, uh, <laughs> has been ongoing. I'm now well into season two. Very excited about all that. Uh, but one Ooh. thing I would like to point out is, so we are recording this on Friday morning. The second episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier has now aired. Now, oh, yeah. What I find quite interesting about this, and I, and I said this last week, and I said it on our Spoiler Special podcast, I don't understand the mentality of Disney for only showing us the first episode. It's a show called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier never even share the screen in the first episode. It's not until this one where we find Finally, get to see them together and we see the chemistry which i kind of think will make this show work which is the banter and their kind of love-hate relationship uh it wrong foots you with some of the other stuff that happens in the episode that i won't spoil obviously for that we do have our spoiler special podcast which will be available now but you can subscribe to at empireonline.com slash spoiler specials um but genuinely like and and we've been mixed on this second episode not everyone in the in, in our spoiler special team loved the second episode but i think it really works but I think the bigger problem with this show is, whereas WandaVision was episodic and it was clearly, you know, multi-part episode, you want to watch it every week. Everything was self-contained. *Mandalorian*, again, they're quite self-contained episodes, even when the, you know, arcs spans several of them. This thing feels to me like more of a Netflix format, where this is a six-part, single-story chunk that you could easily watch end to end. And I feel like trying to assess it based on little fragments of it just doesn't really work in the way it did with those other shows. That but then he's said, not tally. I'm... huh? <laughs>
2: Sorry to interrupt, but then that's not <laughs> You're discussing how it doesn't yeah, work but, but, episodically on no, television. Like this,
0: this, that, this to me doesn't feel like a show that lends itself to episodic viewing. Like it feels like this is a six-hour binge watch end to end. Is what this feels like. It'll be to me um, because the story is playing out a bit by bit. These episodes aren't self-contained.
1: I've, I, I really like the second episode. I thought it was. I oh, thought. I like the second episode. I as thought well. the second episode was everything. The first episode wasn't. Yeah, and you're right to to them not to send it out. Oh my god, what a what a mistake! Mm. Because the second episode is. I thought it was so good what I loved about it actually was they went straight in and they gave you everything you want within the first about five minutes <laughs> kind of maintained a level of, of, of excitement throughout even in even in the right the, the banter scenes and all of that right the way through the I thought it worked really well as an episode of TV and built up to the point where you really want to carry on watching the following week but it was definitely written and uh, very well I thought as, as a kind of 45 50 minute episode
0: I think my concern with it at the moment is everything is a bit skin deep and it feels like you've got a a, a quite generous runtime at six hours but I feel like we have a lesser understanding of what's going on in terms of texture and in terms of depth than you often do in the movies I mean again I, I I can't judge the series as a whole we are two episodes in and that's my impression thus far I do suspect that these will all fill in as it goes along but I enjoyed episode 2 a lot more like I said I agree with you entirely I think episode 2 did give us what we lacked in episode 1 I think had they shown us those first two instead yeah. of just that first one our uh, everyone's response to it would have been slightly less lukewarm so <laughs> Terry's applying hairspray and it's hilarious let's just Terry say. is applying hairspray this is this is and it's given you like sort of streaked badger hair like is, it, is, yeah. it, is this deliberate
2: it's dry shampoo but that's not the point because but hang on because this is i have a problem with this right okay you're like that guy on indie Wire who um complained about the fact that one division and um, was like one division is television oh why are they only showing yeah. it yeah. once a week it's called television yeah but, You're saying, like, it'll need to all be seen together, but then it doesn't function for me as telly. Like, yeah, but I, well, you know I, what I mean? suppose what
0: I'm saying for this is like this feels to me more like the structure that you would often get from a Netflix show where one thing naturally leads into other and it doesn't feel as satisfying as a self-contained unit, in my opinion. It's a bit like when I talked about the Saturday morning TV <laughs> in stuff. In my opinion. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. When
2: <laughs> in they would break
0: the Centurion's cartoon <laughs> up into little five-minute chunks, that's what this feels like. It feels like this has been broken up into little chunks and they're giving me five no, minutes of it, and then I, I have agree. to fuck about watching Gaz Top and Gilbert the Alien for another two hours before I can see the next five minutes and that's deeply frustrating for me uh I, like this for me as i've experienced so far feels like a show that i needed to watch all in one go
1: oh you're so wrong you may not you may not no no, no let me say this you may not you may want to see all in one go that's different yeah it's like you could you might want to see all of line of duty in one go but cuz it's so addictive terry's literally left <laughs> terry's she's so left. disgusted
0: with this conversation she has actively <laughs> listeners i kid you not has got up taken off her headphones and walked away <laughs> this has been a roller coaster we've had you falling asleep <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Telly is now just Telly gone. gone. is she even going to come back? I have no much, idea.
0: Applying too much hair product. I can only assume that she's <laughs> just discovered that she's won 27 million on the lottery and she's <laughs> fucked off to Monaco and we're never going to see her again.
2: <laughs> a man started drilling outside. Oh, God. And so I had to go and shut all the windows and shut all the doors <laughs> <laughs> because he literally got out like a chainsaw for concrete. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> wow, well,
0: that's a bit, bit of exciting drama for us. <laughs> So, yeah. Anyway, we've discussed that Boyd disagrees with me on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Just let's move on to the next thing. The other thing I've been watching is the Nevers, the deweedened Nevers. Uh, this is the uh, the other Victorian Supernatural show, the one that uh, Joss Whedon has been has left and has been it's, it's had a Weedonectomy they're <laughs> almost denying all knowledge he's been disavowed like in Mission Impossible um, no one knows that Josh Whedon is attached to this except for the fact that the first four title cards at the end of every episode contain his name but anyway, that is what I've been watching, and we've been doing this for at least half an hour already. So let's move on to the listener question. And this week's listener question comes from Jamo or Jamo, one of the two in Sydney, who picked up on the fact last week that Boyd mentioned parenthood and alluded to the fact that we'd never discussed the best TV shows based on movies. Now, Jamo slash Jamo took issue <laughs> with that fact, having submitted that question numerous times in the past and oh, been God. roundly ignored by me. So, Jamo Jamo, just for you, what are the best TV shows that spun off from an original movie?
2: I have a list.
0: I have no doubt.
2: Buffy, The Vampire Slayer.
0: How did I know that you were going to start with that?
2: I mean, when you... Let's be frank, the film is shite. <laughs>
3: <laughs> really, it's, it's, really, it's not great, really shite. No.
2: And she's not a very good slayer. I mean, nothing about it actually works. And obviously, as we all know, the TV show is magnificent. Um, Mandalorian, obviously, Cobra Kai, which actually, you know, I think is a magnificent example of how to do it properly. And I, I um put Mighty Ducks game changers in the exact same category as that, uh-huh. which is which is right, leaving this gap picking it up decades later and managing to make it feel the spirit and sensibility of the original, but giving it this modern, brilliant, like, it could only exist here and now. I think it's a really hard thing to pull off, actually. Really, really, really hard. That it's not just pure nostalgia, um, that you're not just doing echoes and retreading the same ground, um, that it's not kind of a cynical thing for the for the nostalgia hits. It's not that, but it's its own brilliant, funny, spirited thing. Um, I think both of those are brilliant examples of that. Um, and then I want to say Mark and Mindy.
3: Ah.
1: Okay, Boyd? Uh, Well, I'm going to go way back to um, uh, my childhood and um, MASH. In
2: 1933. Yeah, in
1: 1933. (laughs) um, MASH, good shout. MASH was incredible because it was an unbelievably good film, you know, Rob Altman classic film. um, And somehow it became. A kind of tonally slightly different, but still absolutely brilliant TV show that went on for years and years and years. Um, Alan Alda um, at the centre of it. I I love Alan Alda and everything he does. And it was a a really edgy, you know, for an American... It was a massive... It was the number one sitcom in America for years and years and years. The finale, I think, was the most watched show in American TV history Mm. up until that moment. And then, like, Seinfeld, I think, came along and beat it. But it was... I remember the finale being incredibly bold as well. It's like a film... Which has like a real has a massive kind of moving message to it which was That's very an well done
0: incredible finale an incredible
1: yeah. finale so yeah mash absolutely brilliant and similarly from my childhood Planet of the Apes there was the Planet of the Apes TV series right spun off from the film which was with Roddy McDowell um, in it and it had the same weird makeup effects that they used in the film and all in the, in the huge I'm a huge fan of the film series but so my memory from youth was watching it constantly weekly. Well, I think it was on BBC Two and I loved it. I just, I checked when we when we got this question through on, on the internet. It only lasted for 12 episodes. In my mind, there were like dozens of them you know, for years <laughs> and years But they must have shown those 12 episodes on a constant loop on BBC Two because it was, because I absolutely loved that. Um Parenthood, which was like the whole thing, mm. um, was really underrated, I think, in this country. In America, it was a big hit it went on for six seasons, 103 episodes, but never really found a home, like a consistent home on British TV, which I thought was a real shame. Peter Krause Lauren Graham, uh, we mentioned it all started from her uh, mentioning her last week. It was just a real I loved the film. It's one of my favourite, favourite films. Absolutely. That film, Ron Howard's masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned, is Parenthood. And they t- and they t- and they just took the tone of it. That comedic yet kind of um, very moving, emotional, emotionally out there tone. And they ran with it and, it did re- and they did a really, really good job. Um, in fact, I'm tempted to try and go back and do a rewatch apparently because I can't really remember much about it apart from enjoying it brilliantly when it was on. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention, Friday Night Lights, the film was mediocre. In a similar Buffy, similar to the Buffy thing, the TV series was incredible. Massive step up from TV from film to TV series, which I think is interesting. And what we do in the Shadows, I think, is a really, really Mm -hmm. good series that we don't again we don't mention enough. Possibly on this show, I think that brilliantly captured the tone of that film as well. A brilliant recasting. Like every, mm. all, you know, brilliant new, 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 new members of that cast, but taking up your yeah, performances from we the film. We don't talk
0: about that show enough. Like well, I think no, we reviewed yeah. possibly the first series. I can't yeah. remember, but it, it's very, very funny.
1: Yeah, it's great. And finally, Hannibal, which. Hannibal, um, the three series of Hannibal, it definitely takes the books, the science of the Lab, the Thomas Harris books, yeah. and kind of twists them and turns them. But it equally did use the films as well as the basis for a lot of what happened. So there's, stuff, there's a lot of stuff from the films and a lot of stuff from the books kind of mingled together. But I loved Hannibal. Mm. It was a fucking masterpiece. It was one of the most out there American prime time. It was an NBC, and insane it's, it's insane that it's a network show. Isn't How it? did it mm. go on the network network TV much? Yeah much more out there than most of the stuff on Netflix, Amazon Prime, etc. It was spectacular.
0: Yeah, it was really, really good. Brian Fuller firing on all cylinders there. Yeah. I loved Hannibal. I mean, you, you guys have covered off pretty much everything. Uh, Hannibal was definitely on my list. I think that's a fantastic show. Uh, I'd probably add Fargo as well. No, all these yeah. Fargo. Uh, obviously, the anthology show, the fourth season of which is incoming with Chris Rock in it, in fact. But uh, yeah, I liked Fargo a lot. Weirdly, I mean, not weirdly at all. In fact, it's incredibly on brand. I have a soft spot for the Stargate spin-off series. You'd be unsurprised to know. So. Of Stargate SG-1, I watched all of that particular series, uh, Richard Dean Anderson and that, although even when Richard Dean Anderson left and was replace, replaced by Ben Browder, who came over, so Ben Browder from Farscape came over, and then Claudia Black from Farscape came over as well because they <laughs> knew those guys had great chemistry, so they transplanted them from Farscape to Stargate SG-1 when Richard Dean Anderson left, uh, and so that show kept on going, enjoyed that. Stargate Universe was also a really good one with Robert Carlyle, uh, that, was a, that was a really edgy one, that didn't last very long before it got cancelled, but that, was, that had a lot of potential. So I was sorry to see that go Stargate Atlantis frankly which had Jason Momoa in it uh, Stargate Atlantis was not great that's the only one that I think kind of failed on that level uh, Terminator and the Sarah Connor Chronicles was not good and I won't pretend it is but Highlander 1992's Highlander obviously spin off of the Highlander film with Adrian Paul I enjoyed that I've talked about that on this podcast before uh, but that was a good one I, uh, I enjoyed watching Adrian Paul go around each week lopping off people's heads and you know telling stories of when he was wandering around in the Victorian era or whatever good fun um are there any others i can think of 12 monkeys was actually okay did you watch 12 mm, monkeys yeah it was actually yeah, yeah the 12 yeah. Monkeys spin-off show that was yeah. that was that was pretty decent i've never watched the from Dust till dawn series but i oh, know man. a lot of people like that same with ash versus evil dead i've not watched that either uh, i think i watched the first episode of 10 things i hate about you because i loved the film so much but that show did not work for me <laughs> on any level Did you know there was a 1994 weird science tv show vaguely yeah spun off the john hughes oh, movie there I, are so many weird ones that yeah. i didn't know actually loads of them yeah. that i've never seen yeah there are quite loads. unbelievable there's a, there's a animated show tron uprising never heard of that Freddy's Nightmares. do you remember Freddy's nightmares yeah which was a, a again it was a, it was like a creep show sort of anthology of little stories show hosted by freddie who would sit there and introduce each one of the, the particular stories for you that was not good either but yeah i think that's oh we haven't mentioned westworld which I suppose is, yeah. is worthy of something. Like Westworld certainly yeah. started very strong. Even season three, I know you hated it, boy, but I had a soft spot for that. I quite enjoyed season three of Westworld, so I certainly haven't given up on that show yet. So I think Westworld is definitely worthy of a mention. Isn't the girlfriend experience also another one? Because that, that yeah. comes from a movie, yeah. doesn't it?
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I think there's a new series of that coming soon, actually.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so yes, these things work sometimes very well, sometimes very badly, but some, some genuinely great ones in there. Uh, Friday Night Lights probably being maybe top of my list, I would say. That is the answer to your question, Jamo Jamo. Uh, we have finally got around to answering your question. Sorry that it took us so long to get to that. But, you know, we got there in the end. So, now onto this week's news. Unless either of you have a pressing cultural issue you'd like to debate at length instead.
2: That is news. What um, is, is news? Be, this is going to be the hill I die on. <laughs> Things happening in TV and people talking about them is called news i know it's not a press release of somebody being cast but imagine it's like you know a cultural conversation point or what do we call it news
0: (laughs) so do you have any of these cultural conversation points terry or are you just you know laying out the ground rules they
2: don't they don't just like appear constantly but you know
0: if only you could find them on the internet
2: well but (laughs) Find them on the internet. Cultural conversations are things that happen between people, James. Do you know people?
0: Not really. People
2: who you talk to. I haven't Um, left my house in like a year. Yeah, there is that. (laughs) Shall we talk about Jessica Walter? Yeah. Who sadly passed away. So, I mean, she's mainly known, I think, probably uh, for telly and particularly for Arrested Development. That was, yeah, very sad news last night.
1: Yeah, she's so funny in that show. She's absolutely one of the best characters in that show. And is brilliant. And everything.
0: I'm not entirely sure how I segue from that to, you know, the new Game of Thrones spin offs, but I'm gonna give it a go. When has
2: that ever stopped you from yeah. making a clang of a legend? Indeed,
0: time? indeed. So they announced another three Game of Thrones spin-offs this week, which I oh, can imagine from the look on your face, Terry, that you are over the moon with excitement about this. So the three possible ones. Now one of these, Terry, I think you'll like. One of these I think you'll like, and it's flea bottom which is set in the slums of King's Landing. So think of it as like a working class, you know, Ken Loach directed series about people scraping by on benefits in King's Landing. I'm saying this is 100% up your alley.
2: That sounds like the irregulars basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that it could, it could well be that. Uh but you said that's one of them. There's another one called 10,000 Ships, uh which uh, shows Princess Nymeria who helped found Dawn, the Dornish princess, Princess Nymeria. Um she uh, She's going to be commanding a flotilla of ships as they flee persecution. Uh, and then there's another one called Nine Voyages, another sea-based one, which uh, which has Lord Corliss the Sea Snake Valerian, um, who is the greatest seafarer in the history of the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs>
2: Another sea-based one. one. Yeah, that was C-based. funny. Sea-based. <laughs> not
0: sea-bass. There's a clear distinction there. Uh, bear in mind that these are three which go... There have already been three announced because there's the animated one that we don't know anything about. There's the Dunk and Egg one. So Duncan the Tall and Egg and Targaryen, based on the novellas. And then there's House of Dragon, which is obviously in production at the moment. So How that's How many six. are there in
1: total? Six, six there in are total. Six. That sake. said,
0: these three, like HBO have not confirmed they're definitely going ahead. And bear in mind the way House of, Dragon, House of the Dragon came about in a kind of dragon's den uh type event where they had a bunch of pilots being worked up and then this was the one that won so what? possibly only one of these will come to fruition maybe all three will who knows well and because jane goldman was working on one which and that was completely ditched wasn't it yes it was oh, It was. yeah that's, they're quite uh, they're quite cutthroat with this wow fucking hell but uh, yeah a little bit more game of thrones
1: um can i just mention the great cast that's been announced for the next stephen moffat series do you see this? He's, so he's created the series The Inside Man, which is going to be a four-part um, self-contained miniseries thriller. Um, follows a prisoner on death row in the US, a vicar in a quiet English town, a mass teacher trapped in a cellar as they cross paths in the most unexpected way. Yes, I'm reading a press release. Terry's favourite. <laughs> but the cast for this fucking thing, David Tennant, Dolly Wells, Van Helsing from Dracula, Lydia West, Jill from It's a Sin, and Stanley fucking Tucci. I'm saying love the tooch. Four, love the tooch. Four great people
0: in a Stephen Moffat four-part thing. Bring it on. So when you said great casting, I just assume you were referring, boy to the eight members of The Witcher cast who were announced this week. I thought, you know, you'd be over the moon about that, which includes two cast members from Bridgerton. So uh yeah. Joa Ando uh, is, is going to be in the show, as is Chris Fulton, both from Bridgerton. But Graham McTavish is going to be in... Season 2 of The Witcher As As is Simon Callow So All all good things Which will undoubtedly Get Terry to watch Season 2 of The Witcher And enjoy it
2: Oh my god And uh, there was Indeed. actually
0: Someone interesting In The
1: Witcher That cast story You're right Who you haven't even mentioned Who did um, I not mention Who
2: did I not mention
1: <laughs> uh, Who did I not mention Yeah
2: <laughs> did, did, Everything you say Sounds funny today James
0: <laughs> Liz Carr
1: Liz Carr from the OA And devs That's who you didn't mention Yeah The great Liz Carr I did Carr. not mention Liz Carr I yeah, apologise She's brilliant
0: yeah. I apologise. Liz Carr is also going to be in The Witcher season two. Does this mean you're going to watch it, Boyd? You're going to watch. Did you watch you watched the whole of season I watched, one, didn't you? Yeah, I
1: did watch the whole of season one. And didn't one. understand yeah. it. I did not understand it. I found it absolutely <laughs> bewildering. <laughs> I feel I almost have to watch it again because I didn't. I, oh, I ran. I found it quite exhausting <laughs> to try gonna and work all You're going to go full Terry out.
0: and watch it twice to make sure you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I might have to. I might have to. Yeah. Oh God. Michael Chiklis, Vic Mackey from The Shield, he is going to be in a new series about. Uh, it's the HBO series about the Lakers. He's, he's playing some legendary basketball coach. I have no interest <laughs> in basketball, but I have a great interest in Michael Chiklis. So. That
1: Lakers series is going to be huge. That, that's that's going to be a big thing yeah for those anyone who knows about sport anyone who knows about sport that's probably (laughs) great news for you what you i here's this is the thorny issue i'm going to bring up a thorny issue right for me i i I don't like it when i know we we do these kind of stories every week where we talk about announced projects and casting and everything and it is the crux of both the empire and pilot tv podcast section and i find it uh, traditionally when people take against a project for no you know, just based on this, just based on a press release, basically, I find I've always had kind of have an issue with it, I think, oh no, that's unfair, you know, even the most even those six Game of Thrones you know, spin-offs, <laughs> I'm like, maybe they'll all be amazing, it'll be fine. But there was one announced this week that really fucking got my go, I have to say, and that is Ryan Murphy's next project. Do you see this announcement? So Ryan Murphy for Netflix is, is doing a limited series called Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Of course, starring Evan Peters. Evan Peters in every single thing he does. Who looks exactly like Jeffrey Dahmer. But how many, first of all, how many more fucking Jeffrey Dahmer things do we need to see? There's about 10 films out there already and documentary series. There's a different documentary made about him every year as far as I can make out, maybe even every six months. There's loads of films. This is like Ryan Murphy, like, I just feel like the laziest thing for him to do. I know what this is going to be like without even seeing it, I feel. like, And that may be unfair. But I just think, I just the whole thing it's just just seems so tired and tedious and obvious thing like the least surprising news of ever is that Ryan Murphy is making the Jeffrey Dahmer story with Evan Peters. I,
2: I worry about the taste levels that yeah. will be displayed. Um it makes me feel icky. I just think with with those kind of you know serial killers uh there has to be an approach, and I'm thinking about David Tennant in Des, Help Me, Des, Des, Des. Yeah, which that kind of careful, considered, nuanced, really interesting but very grounded in realism portrayal that I think is worthwhile, and you can see the point in making those. And that was unlike anything I'd ever seen about about uh, Dennis Nielsen. But would we expect a Jeffrey Dahmer? project by ryan murphy to be nuanced or grounded in realism or particularly respectful of victims and families and and that that's what makes me uncomfortable is how you kind of marry that very heavily stylized theatrical kind of bombastic uh approach with a subject like this when it's based in real life right when it's not fiction
1: yeah yeah
2: i think uh, james doesn't care
1: no he doesn't know I think the Gianni Versace thing was really well done. It was r- mostly look written by face. Tom Rob Smith. Yeah, look, he's completely zoning out. But, yeah, I just worry about it. It just feels like, yeah, yeah. I, I worry about this project. <laughs> okay, clearly, clearly we've discussed it enough for James. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I was looking for other news. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I
2: enough. was
0: trying to find something when to make sure we hadn't missed time, anything.
2: David, I'm going to... I'm going to say something, but there's not much going on this week, let's be frank. But David mm. Thewlis has mm. uh, been cast opposite Olivia Coleman in, in Landscapers, which is... Which is... <laughs> <laughs> that's actually very good. Uh, Sky and HBO series. <laughs> 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 so I'm talking about a real-life murder. So um, four-parter, uh, and basically they are um, Susan and Christopher Edwards. They killed her mum and dad buried them in the back garden, Trevor Jordan style. And essentially, they somehow managed to get away with it for a decade and a half, I think. And it's about the investigation into that murder and uh, how these two people deal with it. And I think he said, this is without doubt the very finest project I have worked on for many years. Everything about landscape is is magical. Mm. Not quite what I was expecting after you, you know, killed her parents and buried them in the back garden but who knows <laughs>
1: <laughs> david Thewlis said that yeah uh, uh it's interesting it is a really interesting project cuz it's written by olivia colman's um husband uh i believe why is
2: it magical though like it sounds like a murder crime drama
1: yeah magical is is a weird is a weird word to use it must be said yeah it's interesting maybe yeah but um uh daniel rigby's in it as well it's got a really interesting good cast felicity Montague's in it mm Yeah, it is fascinating.
3: Okay, good.
0: Um, uh, (laughs) The only other thing I know of is that there is a Better Call Saul animated spin-off happening called Slippin' Jimmy, which I've got to be honest, I would not have been something that I would have put odds on, but sure. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, the animated show has been announced by AMC. We don't have any details on it, but it's going to be about Slippin' Jimmy and his tricky con-based antics.
1: God, there's animated things of. Did you? What was that show that we didn't review last week? Have you watched that yet? The um. The, I, the, I can't say I have. Uh, okay. From the Walking Dead. Apparently, it's good. From the Walking yes. Dead. Guy. Invincible. Yeah. The one that we didn't Invincible. watch when we
0: watched the German nihilistic exactly. horror. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. going to say that we covered off most of news in a half-hearted way this week. That's excellent. So shall we move on to the reviews? Uh, and we begin this week with the Irregulars. Now, this comes from the mind of Tom Bidwell, who did My Mad Fat Diary and Netflix's Watership Down, and this one reimagines Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Baker Street Irregulars as a bunch of sweary teenagers solving supernatural crimes for an opium-addled Sherlock Holmes and a rather sinister Dr. Watson. More importantly, though, it is the same kind of edgy Netflix YA output as modern masterpiece Fate the Winx saga. Terry, can this hold a candle to bloom the Fire Fairy and the legendary Winx crew?
2: I mean, I only understood, like, two of those words. But no or yes, depending on which one means that this is, like, rubbish. So, this is Sherlock Holmes' meets Stranger Things, meets Oliver Twist, meets Law and Order, meets The X-Files, shaken up in a glass and cobbed in a skip. So it's a, as you say, it's a supernatural horror investigation procedural. There's like a monster of a week thing, a la Buffy, um, set in Dickensian London, as you say. So it's within, apparently, there is an Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock universe. Did you know this? I did not know this. And it is in that universe. This group of kids are a apparently a group of workhouse exiles and urchins. We'll get to my issues in a minute, but um <laughs> so there are four of them, the irregulars, and they live in a squat. And they so there are two sisters, B and Jessie, played by um Sadie Graham and Darcy uh, Shaw, and then their pals Billy, Jojo McCari and Spike, played by Mikhail David. And they are just their skills. Their squat is just around the corner from Baker Street and <laughs> 221B, Baker Street. Don't know why I'm so excited by this, by the way. I'm um, not sure either. So, um, and basically, one of them has a gift and they're enlisted by Dr. Watson, played by Royce Pearson, to um, find information. And this week's mystery is a series of baby kidnappings, which... It might be supernatural guys, and there are some killer birds. There's, it gets a little bit uh, Alfred Hitchcock, Tippi run style at one point. There's a flock of killer birds that are basically like trying to peck people's eyes out of their entire skull. So every week there is a different story, different supernatural villain, resolved episodically, blah, blah, blah. Good things, inclusive and modern and slightly funny in parts, um, things that bothered me. A complete lack of authenticity. So,
0: it's, it's a supernatural drama set in Victorian London. Well, what do you
2: want? Well, I'll tell you what I want. I want real It's got accents. a magic
0: bird man in it.
2: Accents. So there's a guy who go, Oh, what's going on? Down here in London town. Um, so, well, here's my other problem. Those urchin kids, who, by the way, were workhouse exiles, so not even just a lack of education, zero education. They have very posh speaking voices and they are hugely articulate for kids who've never like, looked at a book. Their teeth are so white, like Hollywood white. Can't just the hair and makeup people just give them rotten teeth? Where do they get the toothpaste to brush their teeth with or whatever they had in Dickensian London? They have clean faces for most of it. At the end, they get a bit of muck smudged on them. Their hair is really, really pretty. Like, th- th- there is a, a lack of of urchin detail, which bothers me. <laughs> lack De- of like, urchin, urchin detail. detail.
1: They look, look like they've just come from a Vanity Fair shoot, basically. They look like,
2: yeah, they look like a, like a gap ad for, like, you They're know, 13 years. they It's supposed to be years. attractive.
0: It's a YA show. No. It's not a fucking Mike Lee drama.
2: There is... The acting is is
3: Fine. present.
2: And variable. <laughs> variable. Uh, I actually, I have to say, uh, it's Jessie, right, with the Darcy Shaw, with the gift.
0: Yes. Right? Yeah. Psychic Jessie.
2: She, she, I, bless her, she acted her little socks off. I thought she was good. <laughs> she was uh, compelling and weird. The, I mean, the other ones. It's just, it's all a bit big. much you you haven't
0: mentioned leo leo the prince
2: so they they hook up with the prince who's gonna help them uh they don't know he's a prince they
0: don't know he's a prince terry they just think he's posh leo
2: there's a brilliant scene where he goes into an alehouse, gets out a bag of gold and goes, oh, Gagnar, will this, will this cover the cost of a drink? And he goes, oh, yeah, oh, that'll cover it, because they're showing he's like a fish out of water. He doesn't know what to do in the world. He's a weird, sickly, uh, runaway prince, obviously, who's now part of their gang, because he sneaks out in the middle of the night away from his minders to be part of their... Crime solving gang. Look, it's nonsense. Let's be honest. And it's not for me. And I was watching this and I was thinking, James Dyer is sat somewhere across this city right now, like a pig in shit, because he's just walked into this universe that is built for him. So part of me, my heart was warmed by the thought of your enjoyment, James. But this is absolutely not for me in any way shape or form thank you very much i'm
0: you surprised me given that one of the characters calls another one a bell end within the first five minutes <laughs> did, of the show
2: so she i enjoyed her, i enjoyed a, a few a bit of her dialogue that is b and um, the, the other sister and she has a little bit she's meant to be the like fiery one and um, so she does say the word bellend which i did greatly appreciate
3: <laughs>
0: Someone later on says, well, shit in a hat and punch it, Uh, which I thought was a particularly nice turn of phrase. Boydie, did you enjoy this to similar Um levels? I was disappointed,
1: I have to say, because it is it would be for me quite happily, and I think I'm a you know I think Tom Bidwell did a brilliant job with my Mad Fat Diary. I thought that was a, that was a really good series, and so he knows how to do because that was kind of YA effectively, and and, it, and did a brilliant job on that show. And I love Sherlock, you know, I love I love not only Sherlock itself, the Benedict Cumberbatch version, but I love Sherlock Holmes the character, and I like most Sherlock Holmes films and iterations of Rose of Sherlock. and this felt. It was one of those things where I just felt it didn't have to... The, the Sherlock connection was completely pointless. Like, you know, I, so you may have Watson in it. I mean, Sherlock hasn't appeared... I've watched two episodes and he hasn't appeared yet. Um, I know you've watched more, James, but um, I don't know when he pops up. Henry Lloyd Hughes Sherlock. But at the moment, it's Royce Pearson's um, Watson, who, who we do see throughout. And kind of shoehorning a supernatural YA thing onto Sherlock feels just clumsy to me. And, and again, pointless. They could have just had, it could have just be about a gang of youths, of urchins, in London, in Victoria times solving supernatural crimes. So... I just don't, it, so, it, so, and I know, I, I've read the interviews with um, Tom Bilbo, he talks about how um Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did write supernatural stories, so he's kind of, ta- that's where the so he's ta- taken those, and he's kind of mushed them together with Sherlock Holmes, so of course the whole point about Sherlock Holmes is he rejected any idea of supernatural things quite rightly, because it doesn't, obviously doesn't exist, so the whole concept kind of slightly grates with me, and that's just my personal reaction to the concept then the actual execution of it is some scenes are fine, other scenes I felt were clumsy. And you know what? In the end, what I suddenly realised when I watched episode two, which has got this Tooth Fairy storyline going on, I suddenly realised that it's like Doctor Who. It's really like Doctor Who. Um, that and That's a classic Doctor Who idea. And the whole, and obviously what, like- teeth? Just, just that whole concept of a thing that kids affects kids and then gives them nightmares or dreams and or nightmares and there's turned into a kind of quasi-horror thing with Creature. The whole tone of it is absolutely Doctor Who, Episode 2 particularly. Except
0: and, and, people and say actually, fuck quite regularly.
1: Right, except people say fuck. And it's incredibly and that, gory. Yeah, but it's like, but there's classic kind of like, this feels like classic like, yeah, so we're going to take that Doctor Who essentially tone and kind of add, shoehorn a bit of adulty swearing on and gore and it's not quite working, I think. It's kind of all being mushed together in the hope that it works, and I don't think it does yet for me.
0: Yeah. I know what you mean. I think certainly the first couple of episodes, there is a, a whiff of hoovian tone to it, certainly. Um, yeah. in the, it feels like it's not sophisticated enough for the audience it seems to aim itself at like it's you feel like subject wise it skews young yet people are effing and blinding and there's women getting their eyes pecked out and someone with their entrails out and I mean some of it's actually really unpleasant and that tooth fairy one is properly creepy in places (laughs) Um, I will say once they move away from the procedural elements it improves a lot so the first episode of this I do think is weak I think the second episode picks up and they get yes Terry's nodding effusively. Uh, I I've watched five out of the eight episodes here and once the the overall underlying storyline which is hinted at in the first episode so Jess is dreaming of this strange plague doctor type figure that's haunting her dreams uh, and there's a strange like uh, Clark Peters turns up as this mysterious butterfly loving man in white who turns up in her dreams as well once you start to realise you've got that thread of like what's going on there there's a whole apocalyptic thread in there once Sherlock turns up and the reasons for it being connected to Sherlock Holmes start to become stronger I think it becomes a better series so I think I think there's more to it than it is initially apparent I think it also it slips into its it finds its rut a little bit f- further on, like in the same way that I think Fate the Wink saga knew exactly who it was talking to and who it was about and who it wanted to be watching that show. And it's unclear from the first episode of this who the target audience is, but I think it finds its audience as it goes on. And I got quite drawn into it. Like the ongoing storyline. Like, I'd planned to watch like and I was like oh I'll just to watch one more. Oh I just watch one more. Oh, one more, go on, give it another one. And I you know, I had quite a good time with it. It's not as good as Fate the Wink saga by any stretch, but there's stuff in here to enjoy. So- like high it's, level it's, it's a high bar yes it's a, i've set the bar very very high i like the idea that in this like watson's quite sinister and you think you know what what is his agenda because it feels a bit dodgy you know yes mycroft holmes turns up and gives a monologue about biscuits which is maybe not the show firing on all cylinders but i think b is really good dahlia graham i think her character's compelling i think the sort of love triangle between her and leo and, and billy is okay maybe not the most compelling thing but it's you know it's interesting it keeps things moving uh and but it's the the monster of the week format i think is kind of where it falls down because they use that as a structure to kind of pin the narrative on but the monsters they go for are weak like they are like like buffy always did this quite well the buffy ones weren't necessarily groundbreaking but they always felt fresh and interesting and they did they did good things with them these just feel like oh like we've had an idea it's like an evil tooth fairy it's not particularly well developed they all kind of there's a sameness to them as well which is narrative that's intentional but like i did not like that aspect of it and i think when that starts to fade not into background but once it takes sort of a second tier and you start to look at the overall story this kind of a, this supernatural apocalypse is coming the show becomes more compelling if not Completely compelling.
1: Have you met, have you seen Sherlock Holmes yet?
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. And when Sherlock comes in, and again, I think it's an interesting idea. Like the, the crux of this is that, you know, what if the irregulars weren't street urchins like they are in the books who help Sherlock Holmes? What if they're the people who are actually solving the crimes? And Sherlock's like in a puddle of his own piss somewhere off his face on opium and taking all the credit for their work, which is part of what this series kind of sets right. up. Again, that's not clear from the outset. You don't really realise that that's what's happening until later in the, sh- in the show. Yeah, I you know I enjoyed it. I will probably watch the last three of these. uh I'll, I'll go through it because I think there's you know there, there's fun to be had with it. But one thing I did find was strange is like this. So uh, this isn't contemporary. This is set in Victorian London. Yet the influences of Sherlock of BBC Sherlock, I think, can be felt in this. In you know there's a there's a moment where they are looking at suspects in a murder and like who they are and and what like is coming up on the screen as kind of like crazy subtitles like as she's thinking through it. And I think the theme tune has a sort of a very oh, Sherlockian yeah, Georginess to it, which like- I- uh, hang on a minute. I said this yeah. is this is very close to the point yeah, where I, th- I thought that was bizarre. Yeah, I yeah, thought that was bizarre. I thought bizarre. that was a strange choice. Yeah.
1: And I think that's unfortunate because Sherlock was so brilliantly written, you know, it was, and put yeah. and and the way it dealt with these the street people helping him out, I thought was really clever and smart. So I think the le- the less you remind people of that, the better. Yeah, really. no, I'm with
0: you because this isn't on a level with BBC no. Sherlock, not even close. Uh, so I I would have kept maybe a little bit more distance between them than that. But look, you know, if you are if you are if there's a wink shaped hole in your life and you're looking for something to fill it, you could do worse than this. At least until the Nevers <laughs> arrives in a couple of weeks. But anyway, the Irregulars is a available in its entirety on Netflix as we speak at this very moment. Next up this week, we have The Syndicate, series four of the syndicate in fact uh, a BBC One anthology show about lottery winners that started in 2012 and for reasons that remain unclear we are reviewing (laughs) on this week's show Um, this fourth season I can't emphasise that enough sees a group of Brassic Scarborough dog groomers win 27 million quid on the lottery except then a load of stuff happens that Boyd tells me I cannot talk about because the BBC have banned me from discussing the plot as part of the embargo which is helpful Boyd What in the name of Great Odin's Thunderballs is going on?
1: I like the way you've set this up. Totally, like, first of all, <laughs> listeners, right?
0: I got this. We got this text
1: um, earlier from James <laughs> before we started recording. I am watching the Syndicate. Boyd, my vengeance will be swift and terrible. <laughs> then you introduce it in the most, <laughs> in the most outrageous, way. Why shouldn't we review it anyway? To give to give you some background. Yes, this is the full series. Each series it started out in 2012. Kay Meller, who wrote some brilliant shows, including A Band of Gold, Playing the Field, Fat Friend she's a she's a brilliant experienced TV writer who um, focuses on working-class communities and working- class life and it's uh, uh, has a brilliant record of that this is the full series and um, there has been a gap so there's been like a five six year gap between the last one and each series um, is about a different lottery winning syndicate which is a good idea you know you follow the what it's like to the idea of what it's like to um, win the lottery and uh, to be part of the syndicate and it's a way of doing a kind of ensemble drama thing this time around as you say it's a it's a team of young fairly young dog groomers four women and one guy and she uses that to explore it's, it's a very interesting exploration the dog grooming their business is about to be shut down by Ponzi londoners who are going to want to revamp it and turn it into something Ponzi and they're about to be kind of put out of work and they and by careless people who don't give a fucking shit about their lives and I thought that was interesting how they how literally they put how they earn enough money to make to, to live their lives is part of the um storyline of this show they then win a small amount on the lottery, um, 500 quid, and they're told that by the guy who works at the newsagent, Frank, played by Neil Morrissey, um, and the uh, new, and the news agency is owned by Gainer Faye as Cheryl, and then stuff happens, and it's not as simple as the fact that they win the lottery, and it all, all, all works out brilliantly, and then we work out what happens with them and how they're gonna spend it for the next um, five episodes. It's all about something that goes horribly wrong, and they then have to sort out their claim to the lottery And how that happens would be a spoiler. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought it was well acted. I like the fact that it's about working class people, people who are poor, people who need money and that kind of extreme situation where you're going to go from having no money whatsoever um, and to the point where you're going to have 27 million pounds in theory. And then that is scuppered and how you deal with that and how that takes you. There's a kind of Riley funny going on with the fact that they all work in this dog grooming situation and frank played by neil morrissey this character who tells them they've won 500 quid on the lottery and he's clearly dodgy is obsessed with his dog and goes off with his dog and that's played for laughs there is deliberate humor from that situation and his character and i love neil morrissey anyway and he's always really good going back to line of duty etc so i really enjoyed it
2: look can i just start by saying i love kay meller right so kay meller to Boyd's point, is one of the finest writers of working class life on British television. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, when she was doing soaps or Band of Gold or ch- children, she wrote Children's Ward, James Iyer, that should like float your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, whether it's, uh, pl- I loved playing the field, I love Fat Friends, I thought she- it was brilliant. So I am a massive k fan. So let me just say that. Weirdly, as with James, this entirely passed me by the previous three seasons. I almost fell off my chair when you said this was the fourth season. <laughs> yeah. I um, had no idea.
0: Absolutely no idea.
2: No clue. So I am predisposed to like this because also I think Gaynor is like an incredibly underrated actor. Neil Morrissey, who obviously I recently watched in uh, Unforgotten and thought he was brilliant. <laughs> Kim Marsh is actually, I've always thought is a is a great actress. She's brilliant in Coronation Street.
0: Joe Sugg.
2: But Joe Sugg.
0: Yep.
2: But but I I I couldn't quite get on with this. I think what it did do a good job of was showing showing the reality of being skin in this country. And actually they when they initially think they've only won like 500 quid 100 quid each you sense the difference that that kind of money makes to people when you've got bailiffs banging on the door wanting to take your telly um when you're working you know minimum wage zero hour contracts what it means to actually have a significant amount of money they do that really really well and i believed the community that they sketched i believed um in these people it was it was a very true depiction i think of a community like that i don't I wasn't sure all of the performances completely worked. I didn't buy them as a as a gang and a group friend. There's an opening scene where they kind of take a selfie and I was cring I was properly cringing. not all of the dialogue tracked for me, and there was just something a bit I just didn't buy it. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't get into the um story i the whole central conceit which we won't mention because it's <laughs> a spoiler. But the whole central conceit I just thought was so ludicrous and that for me was the thing is we'd got this really believable community and these people in very real circumstances and I kind of believed the individual stories but then the conceit that the whole thing's based around is so absurd and I couldn't make that leap. I could not make the leap that was required and there was certain stuff which just didn't make sense. It was like that could never happen or why wouldn't you just do that and and I kind of found it hard to suspend disbelief enough to actually invest in this. So I was quite disappointed, I have to say. Kay Miller, BBC, count me in every day of the week, but I felt a little bit... A, a little bit disappointed by this
0: i mean that's pretty much where i landed like i didn't hate this i, I my, my incredulity over this point is not so much that i truly hated it it's more just like how are we reviewing series four of a tv show i had as with terry never heard of because it's been off screens for five years hasn't it yeah. like, so when it started i was okay this is gonna be interesting and when it's a series four i had to stop and i was like hang on What's going on? I had to look it up. Like I had, I had no knowledge that there had been three years of this. But as you say, it is an anthology. so I guess it doesn't really matter. Um. Say, same with Terry. Like I found that the performance is just a bit unconvincing and a little bit overwrought. They didn't. It didn't really gel. That 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 device at the beginning where you see them. You know, it's that three days or three weeks, whatever it is, earlier device that they use did not start the show well i would not have begun it quite like that and again i didn't i didn't really buy it it just felt a little bit sort of panto amped up in places and i just didn't but but that said you know I, I I stopped it because we had a morning meeting and I thought, oh, I've watched enough. But I wanted to see the rest of the first episode. Right. So it yes. was enough to draw me back into it. But as you know, like this isn't my kind of show. There is perhaps sort of snobbish elitism for me when it comes to shows like this. Uh, and it does not. <laughs> you tick. surprised me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't tick my personal boxes. Uh, and I was maybe a little bit sneery watching it. But. Um, but yeah, I mean it was it was... when Joe Sugg came on that you lost that you lost all well, of... Obviously, boy, the big thing there is I have literally no idea who Joe Sugg <laughs> is. So I know that he is is he's is, he, is he is he is a Strictly person, is he? He was a YouTuber who went on Strictly, yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is his acting debut. Um
1: pretty much, yeah. I think he's done bits and pieces, but and yeah, which one was he in of... this? Was he the one with the he's, beanie? He's the, boyfriend, the yeah, boyfriend he wants to be yes, so, a yeah. big He thinks he's in a band. I mean, he is in a yes, band. He's the yes. really annoying, self absorbed rock musician twat. Yeah. Yeah. Which I fully believed. I thought he was decent. I thought he was good. I see
0: I, do, I do, just none of it rang true for me. Like we talk about the lack of authenticity in in you know the irregulars. But again here like none of the scenes felt sort of authentic to me. It all felt very overegged and a little bit artificial. So it didn't it didn't suck me in, but I still wanted to know what happened. Make up mm. that what you will. Anyway, so uh that is the syndicate series four of the syndicate uh which begins on bbc one on tuesday march the 30th at 9 p.m finally this week we have Keeping Faith. The final series of Keeping Faith, in fact. This is Matthew Hall's Welsh drama, which sees Eve Miles as Faith, a small-town Welsh lawyer who is forced to cut short her maternity leave when her husband goes missing, only for a great many skeletons to come tumbling out of the closet. And if that synopsis sounds incredibly vague and like I, I don't know, cribbed it off IMDb, then that is spot on. uh, Because this is a show that's been on my watch list for quite a while, and I've never actually managed to get around to seeing it. I've really wanted to. And I'm not sure the final series is really the best place to start but can someone please tell me about this show terry
2: i am here james dyer to answer all of your questions (laughs) i am gonna start by saying i fucking love this show (laughs) and i love her this is faith howells the keeping faith of the title played by eve miles is one of the most interesting women on telly full stop and i love how big this show has become by sheer word of mouth Eve Miles was interviewed in the New York Times about the show. That's how kind of mad it's got. So this is also amazing because it's shot twice, once in English, (laughs) once in Welsh, which blows my mind. Like they have to shoot it twice every single episode. It's extraordinary. And so it should because it is a huge Welsh language success, Um, but not just in Wales. So it was so popular last year that the BBC um extended its run on iPlayer and it became the most watched non-network, I don't even know what that means, show on the site. Um, it's been bumped up to BBC One, quite rightly. And so, as I say, she plays Faith Howells, who, and you've kind of covered seasons one and two there, James. She was um a lawyer, a mum, a wife, and basically one day she'd been out the night before, brilliant opening, she got shit-faced, came in completely hammered, like fell asleep in a kid's bed. She is so, there are so many cliches of wives and mothers on telly, and she is not any of them. She's so brilliantly real. The dialogue is so brilliantly real. Her depiction of her is just amazing. So, yeah, so she wakes up one morning and her husband's gone to work. Um, Evan, played by Bradley Freegard, who's her actual in real life husband. Mm. And he goes to work one day and completely disappears. Season one was very concerned with um, where the fuck has he gone? And season two, and she had to take over the law firm and it was all about kind of her adjusting to this new life while the mystery of where he was gone, um, where he was gone, of where he went um, unravelled. She kind of started this new relationship with um, a guy called Steve, loved Steve, played by Mark Lewis Jones. Um, so... Season two, so at the end, if you haven't watched any of this and you want to go back to the beginning, then just beware that I'm about to talk about um, the end of season one to season two. So season one... At the can end, I can I, can
0: I take my headphones
2: <laughs> off at this point? Well, you have to, but you have to be able to do that to talk about season three. So we can't not talk about a program that aired years ago. So if you'd like to take your headphones off, take your headphones off.
0: No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You do what you want to yeah, do. I will yeah. say, if anyone is listening and you have not seen the first two series of Keeping Faith and you plan to, then
2: Terry this, is on. about to ruin it. Yeah. So, and literally, on. you. If James had been listening, he would have realised that I did just say all of that. But there we go. So um, he turns. At the end of season one, I mean it's it's clear that he came back because he's in this new season. Um, so where season three picks up is it's been 18 months um since we last saw them, and uh Faith and Evan are in a divorce and custody battle. That's and it's there's always kind of a news kind of secondary mystery um going on. So this time it's that a kind of a guy that Faith knows he he did some work in her house he has a very seriously ill uh, teenage boy who's got an aggressive brain tumour and the dad and the surgeon are disagreeing on treatment. So basically, Faith's going to take it to court. That's kind of the thing in the background. The big thing is that someone from her past returns who is played by Celia Imri, but there's no, well, I think I suspect I know who she is, but you don't 100% find out who she is. She's just somebody clearly from her past. So this first episode is kind of just establishing all of those narrative beats, I suppose. And I just have to say that I just love this character so much. She is aggressive to the point of being feral. There's a scene where she loses her temper and physically goes for somebody.
0: That's how I describe and you and she, to friends.
2: I mean, she, there are similarities. And <laughs> she is snarling, I mean, like, a, like like an animal. I just love... she. Gives a um, performance with so little vanity in it. And it's funny because loads has been made about a yellow coat she wore in the first season. And then there was, a, I think it was a blue jacket in the second. She has this kind of bun that, and people have become obsessed with how she looks. But she like likes a drink. She's quite rude at times. She's really passionate. She's like a big hearted Welsh woman who doesn't take any shit, will do anything for her kids. I just think she's such an interesting character. And as I say, played with no vanity at all by Eve Miles. She's totally believable, totally lovable. You always root for her. I think the script on this is amazing. It looks beautiful. The characters are all really interesting. I've got so much time for this show and I'm very, very, very excited that it's back.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's so good. I was really interested in... um... In the way it was directed, actually, by Pip Broughton. Did you know? Like, there was a lot of scenes where that she shot conversations, like from afar, from outside mm. the building. So you'd see there'd be in a hospital and there'd be in a corridor, and the two characters, and they'd and they'd film the whole thing from outside. It was quite quite weird, and I don't quite know what she was getting at there, or whether. By the way, it was all filmed during COVID time, so it might be something mm. to do with that. I don't know, but it was fascinating. It was really interesting. So he, so. Um, on top of the fact that you've got this brilliant character played by this iconic performance by Eve Mars. Absolutely. And, and, and all of the supporting cast are feel completely authentic and real as well. I love, um, I love what's his name. (laughs) Mark Lewis Jones, you mentioned Mark Lewis Jones, who remember terrifying in the accident that that channel four series as the abuser Mm. um, of his wife and um, incredible in gangs of London. He's such a brilliant um, kind of earthy soulful actor, I think he is incredible, possibly doesn't get his due and he's brilliant in this as is everyone else but I just thought it was really interestingly filmed and and you know absolutely fascinating casting all the way through Celia Imri as this kind of quite Kind of menacing figure I thought was yeah. so out there in terms of casting. You know, Cecilia Imre from Victoria Wood, this brilliantly funny woman, suddenly thrust into this role as this mysterious figure living in this kind of lavish house who hires Mark Lewis Jones's character for nefarious reasons. I thought there was so such brilliant out there, bizarre but casting that totally worked and she's fantastic. Um, the storytelling is brilliant. You absolutely want to know what happens next. And they managed to, there's a legal storyline involving the young guy who kind of faces, who's in a a terminal, suffering from a terminal illness and and maybe if they operate on him, if they don't operate on him, he'll die. And if they do operate on him, it might ruin his life anyway. There's the whole medical dilemma that is going to be the ongoing legal story of the series. That, On top of Faith's own issues, as you say, with guarding her ex-husband, her little husband, she's trying to divorce her kids, the annoying teen daughter who's just ignoring everything she says, just the balance of storylines and ensemble cast and the way it's filmed, it's a really, really good show. And I love the fact that BBC One is showing it on Saturday night at nine o'clock where it deserves to be.
0: I'm feeling like this might be my next... Obviously, I have my Game of Thrones rewatch to get through, but I feel like this is a show that might be the next thing that I want to sit down and watch. Um, Because, like I said, it's been on my list for absolutely ages and never got around to it. But actually, I want to go back and watch this from the beginning so that I know what the hell is going on because <laughs> I think that's kind of important uh, but yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna report back once I have seen this properly and I've actually watched the whole show but I yeah this, this is a, at the very least it has made me want to go back and do that like I have a real I have a real obsessive compulsive thing about this I cannot miss an episode i cannot miss a season i cannot join something midstream like i need to have seen it all even when it's terrible so why the whole Shits creek thing doesn't work for me it's like the thought of missing the first seasons even if they're not good just gives me anxiety like i can't feel like i can enjoy a show unless i've seen it from the very beginning and so joining things midstream is something that i try and avoid so i'm Hmm. going to go back i'm going to watch this from the beginning and i'm going to understand it properly and that is my well
1: that is my promise to you. That bow is, is my vow It is not
0: my vow. It is my intention. Let's go with that. It is my intent. But for those of you who have seen the first two series of this, uh, Series 3 started on Saturday the 27th on BBC One uh, and is ongoing now, so you can catch up with it there. Uh, is there anything else we've missed this week, Boydie?
1: Don't think there is. It wasn't, no, it wasn't the best week. It wasn't it. I mean, the banner a banner week, was it? Not a banner week, no. 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 Um, exactly. There's a, there's a Tina Turner documentary on Sky that I can't wait to see. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Which
2: is apparently amazing. Yeah, I've I think heard it, I think well, it, incredible yeah, exactly. things about it. I've
1: heard that as well, yeah. So that's on Sky. They'll be on Sky Documentaries when we come out. Okay, um, I'll definitely be checking that out. Oh, Beat the Chasers Celebrity Special on Saturday on ITV. Fucking hell, you know Beat the Chasers is a brilliant format. Russell T. Davis told us on this very podcast, believe it.
0: I'm very confused. Is it
1: called The Chase or yes. Beat the Chasers? The Chase is the uh, daytime five o'clock show, and then there's a primetime off which is Beat the Chasers. Oh, well, and and the, this is different? It's a slightly different. It's a tweaked format, and it's even better, the Beat the Chasers oh format, than The Chase, which is already one of the greatest game show formats ever. And this is the this celebrity special that, went out, that goes out on Saturday. Right.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that we've cleared that up. Yeah. Uh, what is our respective picks of the week?
2: Oh, keeping faith! Oh, uh, keeping faith!
0: Yes, that is probably the best show this week. Although I didn't mind the irregulars, I got to be honest with you. It <laughs> um, was very high-pitched There, it was very. <laughs> <nice>. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, mind the irregulars. I didn't mind the irregulars. It was great. Well, that is it, I guess, for this week's show. Uh, I can't one hundred percent say that it was a five star show, but that won't stop me begging for glowing reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't already follow us on social media, we are at James C. Dyer at Terry Underscore White and at Boyd Hilton. Uh, with a little luck, we'll have some more Victorian supernatural goings-on for you in the near future as uh, so we tackle The Nevers, a show that is in no way connected to Joss Whedon, they'd like you to know, despite having been directed, exec produced, written, and indeed created by Joss Whedon. Uh, but... we know that's be- not
1: on next week, don't <laughs> you? embargo
0: lifts next week, the embargo <laughs> lifts next week, so oh, we can talk about it next okay. week. So I don't know if we end up reviewing it next week. Maybe we will. It all depends on what else mm-hmm. happens. all depends, Boyd, on whether there's like series four of some obscure BBC <laughs> show that you would like obscure. to crowbar into the show. I'll we tell you know. what there is maybe you up. will <laughs> I'll tell you what
1: there is coming up there's
0: Louis Theroux's feature length
1: oh Christ Joe Exotic documentary
0: that feels a lot like a film to me boy. I got to be <laughs> no it's a TV
1: documentary it's a one-off TV documentary it's a one-off event one-off TV documentary <gasps> oh God I don't know if they'll, it'll be ready for us
0: yet so you might be get a reprieve all right well good we'll look forward to that one uh, in the meantime though pilot out